Hello and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Nails here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I am one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I am joined, as I am every week, by Mr. Shane Reeves. Wonderful night. It's just a good night to be at the cigar store. I am in a good mood. I feel I've got a lot of energy. There's a Preds game on, so there's a good vibe in here in the shop. This is These are the nights that, that I really look forward to coming down and recording. Well, and it says something, you know, I don't have to work tomorrow, and that always just really does. And, of course, as I mentioned, I love the holiday season. Right. One of my favorite times of year. There's just something in the air. I mean, even even though it just got cold a couple of weeks ago, we haven't really had this big buildup towards the winter season and the holiday season. There's just something in the air this time of year that I really love. Just walking out with that little crisp feeling in the air. You know, I have to bring my cigar smoking inside. I don't get to hang out on the patio as much as I as I do in the warmer months. But luckily, this being Tennessee, we're still going to see some 60-degree days here coming up. Well, and the big, tall, standing patio heater is my best friend. You know, in the early days of the podcast, we used to record on your back porch. And that was in January, February. And, you know, that would keep us warm the whole time. Yeah, that big heater is just absolutely wonderful. If you're a cigar person out there and you want to smoke outside in the winter, get you one of those. They're like 100 bucks at Sam's, and it's money super well spent. Like so many things in your life, did you pick yours up at a yard sale? No, no. I actually bought and paid retail. That oh, shows how... Wow. Yeah, that shows how much... You must have much, really been invested in that thing. That shows how much I wanted if I bothered to pay retail. <laughs> But let's fire up a cigar. What are you going to smoke tonight, Trey? So I was walking in the humidor tonight, and this cigar just grabbed me. Um, it's it's from Tatuaje, which I don't smoke a whole lot of. This is the Unicos uh, Reserva Broadleaf. It's a 6.5 by 52 uh, Bellicoso. So it's a whole lot of, of unusual for me. Uh, I don't really like the Torpedo tip typically uh, but there's just something about this cigar that I really really enjoy um, I do I do really like a broadleaf wrapper and I don't smoke nearly enough of it so when I saw this it just I knew it had to be what I did for the evening so I'm smoking a cigar from a company that I love I love Roma Craft got to meet the guys that run it here at an event one night Super nice guys. It's a true boutique company, and I know we've spoke about it before. That's one of the cigars. If you walk into the humidor and they have Roma Craft, you know you're in a real cigar store. That is absolutely true. For that, that is one of those brands that I look for as as being just kind of a telltale sign of the quality uh, of owner you have to try something new to bring in some of the smaller companies. And theirs is one of those that there's not a stinker in the line. Every single cigar they make is fantastic. Well, I'm going to be smoking the Cro-Magnon tonight. The Cro-Magnon is a U.S. Connecticut broadleaf Maduro. The binder is Cameroon, and the filler is Nicaraguan. And Roma Craft, you can taste the quality and the passion in every cigar they make. This sounds like a Roma Craft commercial. But I really love... I'm okay with that. (laughs) I love their cigars. They're just great cigars. I don't smoke as many of them as I should. I probably should invest a little more time into smoking more of their cigars. I would enjoy it more. But it gets a little colder. I don't know. My palate tends to change. It does. They definitely have a very full-bodied flavor. or They're very full-flavored. I would say they're medium to full in terms of body. But you're going to get a lot of flavor every time you, you light one of their cigars up. 
One of the things that I like about what they do for being such a small company is they've got such a wide range of sizes. You know, a lot of your boutiques when they first come out will make a couple of different lines in a couple of different sizes. But they really, you know, came out with some big Churchill's, some tiny, like the knuckle dragger is a real small, you know, they, it really runs the gamut. They're all fairly large ring gauge wise. I don't think there's anything in their line smaller than 54, maybe 52. So they're, they're fairly large on the ring gauge size, but you can find something um, to suit your hand pretty easily. Well, and there, that's part of the art of owning a cigar store is knowing which size your clientele tends to smoke. Because here he carries three or four sizes, and there's six sizes of this cigar. Yeah. But he knows the size. He knows he's not going to sell a lot of knuckle draggers around here. And that's one of those things that's really fun about visiting shops in other geographical regions. You know, in Atlanta, they sell a lot of 6x60s and 7x70s. The bigger ring gauges are very popular down there. Up here, you see a lot more Lanceros and Coronas. And, you know, you go out west, you see a lot more of the Petite Coronas, the smaller Robustos, Rothschilds, things like that. It's just geographically, it, it kind of changes. And that's always fun for me when I walk into a humidor somewhere I'm not familiar with. And this is su- just such savory tobacco. This tobacco, you don't dry out when you smoke this. This is really just a savory, rich, full flavor just love this cigar. And it's like we talked about when Sean Hardiman was on last week about the, um, that's the Cameroon at work there that's really helping balance out the palate on that cigar. And and it, it it's just, it's so well, well blended. Just a great cigar. So as we're entering into the holiday season, I've got to stop and take a minute and talk to my fellow human beings out there. Let's talk about gift giving in the holiday season. What's your family's tradition on gift giving? Do you draw names? Does everybody get everybody a gift? How does it work at your house? So everybody gives everybody a gift at my house. Uh, so we're it, that's becoming more challenging as as the family gets a little bit bigger. You know, my uh, I've got a niece and a nephew. I've got a daughter. You know, we've got the grandkids are starting to come along, and it's getting. But it, we're a relatively small family. There's five of us, six of us. Seven, okay, you know, there's. So we've always just kind of, I think as, as the kids are getting older, we'll probably start to change that up as it, get, as it, you know, as we continue on down the line. But that's just always been our thing. Well, I think the standard, I think once you surpass 15 people, it's okay to draw names. I'd say, I'd say 10, as long as you're talking about, you know, kids over 16. I think like if, if you don't count kids in that, but if once you get over 10, I'd say. Well, at my grandmother's, we always drew names, and we always drew names on the 4th of July because that was when we were all together. Yeah. And everybody, and it was a great thing because everybody got a better gift. You know, if you had to spend the money and spread it over 15 people, you got a little lower quality gift. This way you get a little higher quality, but... What's nice about getting a little bit older as well is the fact that with everyone getting married, you can now do couple gifts, and that kind of makes things a little easier as well. Well... And I just want to say there's two kinds of gift-giving people that I hate to hang out with, and I hope you're not one of these people. I hate the gift-giving person that is, oh, well, you already have everything you need. I can't imagine why I would need to get a gift. And uh, getting a gift, it's not about getting what you need. 
I'll go buy what I need. Getting a gift is getting me something that I normally wouldn't get for myself. Or getting me something that you made you think of. Like, it's, it's, it's definitely more about the gesture than it is the object. And that's, that's one of those things. I'm one of those, and this may be the next person you're about to talk about, but I'm one of those people, when I get someone a gift, I can't ever wait until the time that I'm supposed to give it. Because typically, I'm one of those that sees something that, and I have an immediate connection to whoever I'm buying it for. And as soon as I have it, I want to go ahead and give it to them. Oh, that's my wife. My wife is that person. She She's rarely ever bought a gift for me for Christmas that I opened on Christmas Day. I usually get it a couple of weeks before. <laughs> and she knows me really well, so she knows what sort of things I like. And I'm an easy person to buy for. I keep plenty of hobbies just so my fellow man can get me gifts easily. <laughs> you know, I I smoke cigars, I hunt, I fish, I play golf. I am the perfect gift recipient for everyone out there. If all else fails, a box of teas. <laughs> yes, a box of tea, box of ball, good box of golf balls. And although if you play golf with me, you know I lose them fairly often. <laughs> the other person that I hate to give the gift for is the person who wants to see you use that gift. You know, whether it's the knit cap, the ugly sweater, whatever it is, it's a very important to them that next time you come, they come to your house, the, you know, fully horned Vikings lamp is sitting on your end table in your living room wrecking all of the decoration. <laughs> I wonder how much of that is actually that person or if it's projection from the recipient of that gift. I feel like that's a learned behavior we have from watching, growing up watching sitcoms of, you know, the mother-in-law coming over. Where's the punch bowl? Where's the punch bowl? Uh, yeah, because once I give a gift, it really doesn't matter to me if you ever use it or not. Because I want, I want you to enjoy the gift. And, you know, last year we got all of our poker um, playing friends, we got them all card markers. And I wish that was a gift that served me, too, because usually I'm dealing, and it's much easier to deal if they use their card marker. (laughs) And, you know, I say it's now been a year, probably half of them have been lost, but that's not an issue in my mind. Yeah, I think I lost mine in, like, the first two weeks. See, and that don't bother me. That bothers Glenda. I won't tell her that. Yeah. And I'll, but (laughs) those are the gift people that I don't like. And And then my favorite is the traditional gift. So y'all probably seen on Instagram by now the picture of Trey and I sitting with the books around the table smoking a cigar. This book, um, one of my favorite gifts to give because I think everybody should have it sitting on their coffee table when you come in their house. It's great to read on a plane as well. Excellent to reach out, read on a plane. There's a great joke about that. Tonto Horowitz, glad to meet you. But the, it's called How to Live with a Huge Penis. And I, and I think everybody should have that on their bookshelf, have that on their coffee table. It's just a great gift to give. And my nephew and I have exchanged that particular book for the past five or six years. And to date, I one time sealed it in concrete, and he had to have a sledgehammer to get it out. <laughs> and, I, and actually, you'd be surprised. I went to my local concrete company, and I put the book in a Rubbermaid tote, and I wrapped it up in... Um, cellophane so that it wouldn't get ruined and had them pour concrete around it. So I brought his gift in in a large concrete block <laughs> and set it down <laughs> under the tree. That you is should... so much better than the duct tape wrapping. Like that that takes some 
some effort. Would you have to have like a floor jack to get it in the house? Oh, well, it was, what was funny was I said, oh, yeah, pick it up, shake it, see how it works for you. <laughs> <laughs> and all of these eyeballs popped out past his nose. It was a great, great gift giving. <laughs> then the next year, we, um, he was huge into professional soccer. And one of the biggest soccer players, Messi, I believe is his name, yeah. Brazilian soccer player, he wanted his jersey. So my wife and I went to great lengths to get him this jersey. And I sealed the book up in a box, and I filled it full of great stuff foam, expanding foam, and let it set up. It took him over an hour, because I put a picture of the jersey on top of that. <laughs> so when he opened it, he seen the picture of the jersey. He dug for over an hour through foam, and it was messy, and it was sloppy, and it was everywhere. And when he finally got it, he said, it's that blankety-blanket book. <laughs> but I had, I had the jersey out in the truck. <laughs> but just great gift-giving traditions. I have to, I have to get, figure out a good way to give it to him again this year. And now part of the trick is making him think it's something else. Right. And uh, one year when I'm insanely rich, I'm going to buy a truck and it's going to be in the glove compartment. <laughs> Something like that for him. <laughs> so gift-giving traditions are very important. What's a, what's a great $25, $25 to $50 cigar gift to give this Christmas? Um, I think you can never go wrong. And in, when I've been working in, in cigar shops around the holidays, my advice has always been the same. They can buy the person you're buying for can always buy their cigars, but who's going to drop forty dollars for a Calibri Deep V, or a nice lighter, or you know accessories? I think this is the best time of year for accessories because those are kinds of things that people just don't buy for themselves, and with with very few exceptions. So taking the extra, you know, some and and something a little nicer in in appearance, even if it doesn't have to cost you that much. Something that maybe has a more metallic finish, something that's not just utilitarian, I think goes a long way because it shows that you, you know, that you're thinking about them in terms of their hobby, but also that you're doing something, you're buying them something that they probably wouldn't buy for themselves. Well, and one of my standard cigar smoker gifts is 11 or 12 bucks. And it's a great gift. It's the clip that holds your cigar. Oh, yeah. So you can clip it to your canoe. You can clip it to your golf cart. You can clip your cigar anywhere. That's one of those things that once you have it, you'll never leave home without it. But it's one of those, you'll see them all over the the shops and and everywhere, but you'll never think to actually buy one yourself. Yeah, great gift. That's a great cigar gift. And if you don't want to break the bank and you want something really good, you pick them up for 10 or 12 bucks. Highly recommend it. You find them at most sporting goods stores. You don't even have to work very hard. You don't even have to go really? to a cigar store. I know Dick's carries them. Like over in the golf section? Yeah. Huh. So just to, and they also make, if you have, see, I love cross hobby gifts. I actually have a divot tool that has a cigar rest mm-hmm. on the back of it so they can stick that in the ground where they're putting and lay their cigar on it. Another great 10 or $12 gift. Yeah. I've got a couple of those actually that I've been given, you know, over over the course of the last few years, and and it's one of those things that you will always use. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's just a great, um, you know, because I'm I'm never worried about the cost of the gift so much as what the gift means to the person I'm giving it to. Mm-hmm. And if you can always cross promote them and things like that, it's just a a great deal, especially when you know their hobbies and understand their hobbies. So you mentioned that Glenda can't wait. 
you know, to the actual day, but are you guys Christmas Eve people or Christmas Day people? So it was always Christmas Eve with my family where we opened our gifts from each other, and then Christmas Day was the Santa Claus mm. gifts. So we always kind of, it would help sleep the night before Christmas if we got the Christmas Eve gifts first and got what we were getting each other. That makes sense, because then some of the excitement has kind of deflated. You, can, you don't have all of that pent-up anticipation. And we always try to get at least one board game mm-hmm. during that, but okay, I'm going on record here. I hate Monopoly. Monopoly is the worst game ever to come out of Parker Brothers, Hasbro, whoever happens to be producing it at this point. <laughs> because, okay, so the statement I want to make to my my nieces and nephews is, not only am I going to wait for you to spend all your money, I'm going to make you hawk everything you got. I'm going to crush you and grind you underneath my heel for over two hours. That's a terrible, terrible You're playing game. a short game in only two hours. Well, I, 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 when I'm going to crush them, I crush them quick. <laughs> and all I get my hotels built, my real estate background comes into action. Right. I really, I really lay into them when don't, I go Monopoly. Don't, don't play Monopoly with a developer. <laughs> That's right. And all a good, great Scrabble. Love Scrabble as a Christmas gift. And all, but now we play House Rules Scrabble. Do you play according to the book or do you play House Rules? Uh, we play according to the book. What are, What are your variants? My variant is any words you can't say on the radio is automatically a double word score. <laughs> I like that. If you could create that. That would not fly in my family, but that I like that rule. So, so Fs and Ks start going at a premium when you're playing <laughs> Scrabble with me. That's a great, great way to play Scrabble. It's a great variant on the game. Especially when you can connect a couple of words and make a really potent one. Oh, yes. Yeah. So if somebody uses, somebody manages to build Mother, I've got them. I've got the game one. I can guarantee it. And all they stay away from mothers and sons when they're dealing with me playing Scrabble. But we always try to get a game that we can all play together. Um, Last year, we actually bought the Family Feud home game. How is that? Oh, it's wonderful. I, I, I did my Steve Harvey impression. <laughs> Greatest Family Feud host of all time. I would, uh, Richard Dawson. I got to go Steve Harvey. I like I mean, he's Steve. good. Don't get me wrong. He's good. But you got to go You got to go OG. You got to go Richard Dawson. Uh, yeah, but he did that weird kissing thing where he kissed everybody. I mean, that's just a little bit odd for me. It was the 70s. Yeah, I guess so. It was, it was before we had any kind of diseases to worry about from <laughs> kissing strangers. But <laughs> anyway, so back to cigars. <laughs> Quickly, please. And also, if you are looking for that high-budget vacation gift, to get the cigar lover in your life, Camp Camacho reopens this year. They've been, they put the, that's been gone for about two, three years? Um, it's been gone since Davidoff bought Camacho. Okay, so that's... When the Eoria family owned Camacho, they had Camp Camacho. Okay. I, I didn't realize it had been quite that long. So that's, that's going back to 2012, I think. So I've got the four-day schedule for Camp Camacho. I need to know your opinion on it. I want to know... Is, this, is this like Cigar Safari from Drew State where you're just going, running, and gunning the whole time? Kindly. Okay. Let's but, hear it. So Camp Camacho, day one is arrival. You have the welcome, welcome barbecue cookout and swimming. Second day, you go to T- 
Tegucigalpa. Pardon my Spanish. <laughs> and all, and you visit the Tegucigalpa. La, yeah, you visit the La, La Tigra National Park. Zip lining, hiking, sightseeing, and relaxing. Okay, how do you zip line with a cigar? Very carefully. I just think I, I think I see me burning down two hundred acres of rainforest. Well, <laughs> the key there is rainforest. It's, it's it never gets quite to kindling level. Okay, well maybe you know, and I just wonder if they've got if there's monkeys now in that forest that are addicted to cigars that just they just wait. Okay, they're about to push the big one off. Watch, fellas, watch. <laughs> He's got one lit. <laughs> He's over there sucking his fingers for the nicotine. <laughs> yeah, they're just after it. Day three is when you actually visit the factory. You actually get to visit the Davidoff, the Camacho factory, and you have lunch out there. And then the day four is the departure day, and you do have a city tour on that day. So that's four days. That's pretty well balanced. That, that does. I mean, I'm surprised that they saved the the tour for that late in the... I mean, I guess four days. You can only do so much so soon, but... I like the fact that there's some stuff mixed in that isn't just cigars. You know, so many of these factory tours that you go on are, uh, you know, just all cigars the whole time. And you can kind of burn yourself out on that a little bit. So th- this seems like it's it's got a little bit more of a vacation element to it. Well, and it would be interesting. Um, I'll probably go on the cigar safari before I go on the Camp Camacho, just because I do want to go to the cigar safari and smoke some of the rare elite Drew Estate stuff. Yeah. Because they keep that all the flying pigs. And then one of the cool things they do on the cigar safari is you actually get to create your own blend and take a box of those home. That's, that is pretty cool. Yeah, that's a, and that's interesting. I, that would be nice to come back. But here's the problem. You only take one box home. If I go and I do that, when I come back, I want to sit down at one of the football games and hand all the guys in the shop one, hey, this is my blend. And then, but, you're, go- and then you're done. Yeah, then I blew my box of cigars, so I'm not sure. Uh, I'd, I'd like to have the option to purchase an extra box or two. Right. Uh, I, there's someone, I'm trying to remember who it is. There's someone that when you go on the factory tour, they'll actually save your blend so that you can order them like a couple more boxes um, but I forget who that might be. Rocky, I don't know. Um, well, Perdomo has a big deal like this. Maybe too, that's don't what they? it is. Yeah. Well, Perdomo's factory tour, from from by all accounts, I haven't been on it, but it's supposed to be one of the best, just because you see every step of the process, from the seeds to the fields to the you know every step from seed to box. Yeah, I mean they make their own boxes. They even make their own glue. Yeah, they do. The only thing they don't make in house is the cellophane. Really, just really interesting and all. So, what's the price tag on Camp Camacho? Do they have it in that article that you pulled up? Just a second. I'll look, I don't believe they have priced it yet. Because I'd be interested to know what that. I mean, because it's. I mean, from a, if you look at it like a vacation and not a cigar investment, I, those things are usually fairly reasonable. They're a little high, but because of what you're getting to do, but it, it seems they're usually fairly reasonable. $686.74 a person. That's not bad. And by the time you buy a plane ticket down there, you're probably going to be a grand into it. Yeah, and for a, for a four-day vacation in Central America, I mean, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, cons- considering you're getting room and board in that. It and food. Yeah, food. It doesn't say anything about liquor and all, but... Um, 
I don't know. I don't, which I don't drink much anyway, so it really wouldn't be an issue in my in, life. In most of those, it, it's somewhat included. From again, based on stories, I've like usually they put you up in kind of a like a hacienda kind of place, and it's usually you know all inclusive to a certain extent. Now, one of the cool things on the um, Drew Estate on the Cigar Safari is you can actually have a um, shirt made. You can go to the Subculture Studios because we were at the Florida Barn Smoker and a lady was wearing a Dirty Rat shirt. And I said, I got to know where you got that shirt. And she said, I had them make it on the Cigar Safari. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that. so there's a lot of really cool aspects to that cigar safari. I think Drew Estate's kind of the king of these, this cigar trip. Well, they're the king of branding. You know, in some ways, that shirt is better than the box of cigars because the shirt's not going to, you're not going to smoke them all up. You know, that's going to be something you're going to carry with you for a while um, as a, from a souvenir standpoint. Well, and I'm amazed. Have you noticed how many companies do that where they take all your T-shirts and make a quilt out of them? I have things seen like that. that. You like if you've got a lot of T-shirts that mean a lot, concert T-shirts and things like that. You can actually send all those shirts to these companies, and they'll actually make you a quilt out of all those shirts. Interesting. So a lot of interesting stuff like that. But I thought that was cool. I seen that Camp Camacho was coming back, and I really wanted to take a minute to. See, to I talk think about I would. That. I think I would rather do that before I do the cigar safari. Just if, if for no other reason. Then number one, that it's not all cigars all the time, that there's some fun elements to it, but also the fact that I'm just a bigger fan of Camacho. Well, and um, Pedro was telling me, Don Gonzalez, he was telling me about when he was touring some people at his factory, it was actually during the World Cup. Oh, wow. And they went to a little jungle bar, and him and the rollers and everybody were sitting there, and they were watching the um, World Cup on a TV and smoking cigars and drinking good Cuban rum. I just can't imagine. That, that's a that's a once in a lifetime kind of experience, I would imagine. If you're the person that's going on that trip, yeah, something like that, just amazing to me. So, is it time to step away for a break already? It it, it really is. I know this one's flying by, uh, but we're going to take a step away and we'll be right back with more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. I'm one of your hosts, Shane Reeves, sitting here across from Trey Deadman. You know, the Unicos was the perfect choice tonight. I'm really enjoying I don't know why I don't pick this up more often, other than maybe the price tag. I mean, it's, it's up there at 13 bucks, but it's just such a good cigar. Burning fast, but a really good cigar. Yeah, I noticed that yours is burning quite a bit quicker than mine, and I put a straight cut on mine, because when I do the Neanderthal, I like a little more surface area. One of the things about Roma Craft is it has a good draw, but it does have a slow burn. It does. They burn so slow. And I like that. I like a cigar yeah. that I can really spend some time getting to sit and enjoy. It's one of uh, LFD. LFD right. is slow draw. Yeah, it really is. But if I don't mind a slow burn as long as the draw is good. I hate a stiff draw. I do, too. I mean, and we've talked about that ad nauseum. I mean, the, there's... I can tolerate a cigar with bad flavor long enough to get through it if I'm if I think it's going to change. A bad draw, I'm putting it down. Okay, so I've had a lot of fun the last couple of weeks abusing you over your choice in movies. Okay. So, I, so I have to ask. Linda is being mean to me again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> My wife accused me of being mean to Trey on the podcast. 
But and his his lovely girlfriend and all Noel has agreed that I am a little mean to Trey on the podcast. So I'll lay it up to you. This weekend, should I go see the new Justice League movie or Thor Ragnarok? Uh, based on the reviews I've heard, I would say you're probably better off going to see Thor. Well, and they say in Thor Ragnarok, they actually let you know Thor's first name. Did you know that Thor is just his last name? I did not. His first name is Myathith. <laughs> All the sixth graders out there that are <laughs> laughing at that joke. <laughs> I sure do um, appreciate it. Your your emails Shane at thecigarcast.com if you want to write a nasty. Uh, that that was that was special. <laughs> Sometimes I do the jokes just for me. <laughs> I love it when no- Noelle just got it. She just said it out loud to herself, and she just got the joke. So I really feel good about myself right now. I'm riding high. I love doing this show with an audience. We've got to do this more often. Yes, uh, my sixth grade humor really shows out. (laughs) But during the break, now I do get to abuse Trey. All right. During the break, you were accused of a cardinal cigar sin. I was. uh, Rather unjustly, I think, but I could be wrong on that. So for the first three months... That we were dating. I actually, I didn't smoke a cigar in front of Noel. Now, talked about the podcast, was very open about the fact that I smoke cigars. In fact, have an ashtray full of old butts on my patio. Um, but it was just, so I was accused of hiding my, my hobby. Well, and now I, I shall stand up and come to the defense of Trey. Glenda, listen closely. Bringing someone in and saying, I smoke cigars, I have a cigar hobby. How many people, of, of the people who are not familiar with the cigar culture, just think you have a cigar habit? Well, I mean, I remember, I've, I've, I've talked to a number of people just, you know, through the course of my life the last few years, and I mentioned, you know, going to hang out at a cigar shop, and people can't wrap their head around why that's fun, why, how that's possible. Um, you know, they don't think about the lounge atmosphere, the camaraderie, the, I mean, even just that aspect of it. We say, oh, I was at the cigar shop last, oh, like all night studying or whatever. And they just, they can't wrap their heads around how that's part of it. They just think about someone smoking. Well, it goes to show. So one of the things that I like to do is I watch documentaries. I love documentaries. And I like to watch a documentary. And you gave me hell about LBJ? I I watch them in the privacy of my own home, (laughs) and I subject no one else to them. And I would never actually go to a theater and pay real money to sit down and watch a documentary. Okay. And I, I argue that that's what I'm picking on you about. Fair enough. But I always try to watch a documentary on something I know nothing about. To me, if you're going to watch a documentary, choose something you know nothing about and sit down and watch it. One of the best documentaries that came out, and I watched it two years ago, was actually Snoop Dogg, Reincarnated. Really? And I watched it just for that reason, because I like to step outside of my comfort zone. I like to expand my mind. I like to figure out how different cultures work. Snoop likes to expand his mind a lot, too. Yeah, he did a, <laughs> he did a lot of mind expansion on this documentary. Man, that dude smokes a lot of pot. But... but it's funny because without the pot, he is so um, 
gifted rhythmically in understanding how music comes together in the comp- composition and how the individual players bring that together. It really amazed me. I was totally floored. If you haven't seen Reincarnated, it's still on Netflix. Take an hour and half of your life and watch it. Was that around the time that he did the whole Snoop Lion and went down to Jamaica? Is that that yeah. document? Okay. Yeah, that's the whole story of, about it and all. And it, it was really good. And then you and I both watched um, Strongman. Yes. That was, that was one that really surprised me about, gosh, that's been about a year ago since the last time I saw that, but or since I saw that. Um, it was about this, uh, this English guy who's trying to be one of the world's strongest men. And, you know, that's not something you do a lot more weights than I do. I'm more of a cardio guy, but I can appreciate fitness and that sort of thing. And but that's just one of those aspects that, you know, I used to watch it on ESPN 12, you know, back in the day at two o'clock in the morning when they would show those. But it's not something I have any frame of reference for. And, and I think that's a mark of a good documentary is when I can come in either with no uh previous information on a subject or maybe even some negative bias and and still enjoy it well and if you have amazon prime it seems like amazon prime does a better job with documentaries than netflix netflix has gotten better but i would say you're right um just because there's some stuff you can get on amazon prime that's a little more it's a little less uh popcorn centric like i find the documentaries on netflix to be very entertaining in their purpose whereas you get true documentaries on Amazon Prime more. Yeah, and you know I watched Blackfish, the CNN documentary about the killer whales, was not impressed. Okay. Seemed really biased. You could feel it in a documentary when the when the people making it are trying have a political agenda and I right. don't enjoy that. Well, one of the one of the documentary series that I've really enjoyed is the that CNN has done are the the decades. Uh, I've I find those fascinating. And okay, I'm glad you brought that up because I grew up in a great decade. I grew up in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I got to grow up in the 80s. We were on the tail end of the 70s, and some of the greatest music ever made, I say, comes out of the 70s. Um, the 80s hair band stuff was really good. No good music came out of the 90s. <laughs> that is, and, I agree with that. And a lot of what comes out today I'm not a big fan of. But do you remember the commercials for the Time Life music yes. collection series? <laughs> yes, I do. And it's funny because my wife and I will be driving somewhere, and as soon as I hear the hook of a song, I can tell her, who sang the one it? came that the one that came after it in the commercial? Yeah, I can tell her one, but I can also tell her who sang it and all that. And she's like, "How do you know all this?" I say, "It's a lifetime of documentaries, or of um, Time Life music series infomercials." And all that's just that's interesting. One to of my me. favorites was from the '80s collection. And I wish I could remember who who sang the the first song, but it's um, when I think about you, I touch myself. Who is Wilson that? Phillips? Wilson Phillips. So that's one of the songs. And then in the commercial, the immediate next one is Can't Touch This by MC Hammer. <laughs> I've always just thought that was such a funny... A lot of range in that particular yeah. collection. Time <laughs> Life was really working on it back then. Yeah. And all, but coming back to cigars. And all, so Christmas coming up. What's the Christmas Day smoke? Have you... Opus. You always smoke an Opus on Christmas? I do. Very interesting. I don't, there's something... So, speaking of documentaries, uh, when you buy a box of Opus, or at least there for a while, you get a 
documentary in the box. It's the story of Opus. And it's a documentary with mostly Carlito, but Carlos is in there as well, as, where some, some of the, as well as some of the other Fuentes. And it goes with the story about Carlito really wanted to earn his name as a Fuente. You know, he was born into one of the greatest cigar families that will, that will ever live on the planet. And he really felt like, outside of being born into it, he needed to earn his mark. He needed to earn his name. And that's really where the opus came from. And it talks about the development and why it was special and what he did to make it special. And there's something about knowing the story behind that cigar that for me just, when, I'm, when it's around Christmas time, you, you get really introspective. You get kind of, at least I do, you know, I um, take a time to stop and reflect and think. And so for me, smoking the opus on Christmas or Christmas, it's usually Christmas Eve, but just that story with that cigar and that time of year just is a, is a perfect little ribbon, ribbon on a present for me. Well, it's interesting, kind of unintentionally, our theme of the night has been about kind of how the layman, the standard person, doesn't understand how much cigar culture, how amazing it is. Right. You know, the stories, you know, Willie Herrera at one of the events told me his story. And he was basically grew up in a cigar factory and would go buy other cigars to smoke. He'd take the labels off of them and walk around the factory smoking other cigars because he didn't care for the cigars his parents made. And one day he walked in and his father had a whole bunch of tobacco on his desk and says, I want you to blend a cigar because I'm sick to death of seeing you walk around this place smoking cigars that aren't mine. So here's the binder, here's the filler, here's the wrapper. Bind you a cigar together that you're going to smoke as you walk around here because I can't stand seeing you smoke other people's cigars in my (laughs) factory. And that's actually what led to Willie becoming a master blender. He blended that cigar, and then he started handing them out when he would be walking around. Somebody would say, hey, what are you smoking? He'd say, well, I'm smoking this that I blended. And that was kind of the birth of the Willie Herrera brand. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and so there's so much of that goes on. You know, just We could... We could talk all night about the stories of Avo Avazian, and we could talk about the stories behind all of these great cigar makers. And it's just, it's fascinating to me. And just makes, to me, knowing the history makes the cigar that much better. I completely agree. And, you know, we talk about the fact that, that cigars, there's some, there's artistry that goes into it. We talk about it a lot when it comes to the construction and rolling of the cigars, just because they're the ones, you know, in the trenches doing the work. But the, the blend, the farmers, everything is done with such reverence to the craft. And it is truly artisanal, the way that, that everything in this industry is approached. Well, you kind of got to be half engineer, half artist to create a cigar. Yeah. You've got to engineer the cigar where it will stay lit, where it will burn evenly, where it won't fall apart, where it will draw efficiently. And um, we spoke a lot with Sean Hardman about that, mm-hmm. about how the actual nuts and bolts of putting the cigar together goes. So when you get ready to smoke a cigar, try to find you a cigar that's got a story. I just love a cigar with a story. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So what is your what is your Christmas smoke? My Christmas smoke changes year to year. I don't have a traditional smoke. This year, it's probably going to be an Undercrown Shade just because that's been my favorite cigar for several years now. And generally, that I like to go to something after the Christmas dinner that I know is going to perform. 
There, that makes sense. Uh, last Christmas Eve, I did have a feral flying pig. And I really, we sat around the campfire. My, grand, my mother and father lived by the river. And we had the campfire, and we sat around the big campfire, and I smoked my flying pig, and we just had a great time with it. So it kind of varies, but I'm thinking this year it'll be the other, either the Undercrown Shade or it may be the Undercrown Sungrown. I still haven't had one of those. I almost grabbed one of those uh, the other day, but I, I was waiting for a time when I sit down and, and have it for the first time on the show. Yeah, it's it's um when I first smoked it, I was not as big a fan. It's a cigar that has really grown on me, and it's become a cigar. It's in a category by itself for me because it is the cigar after a cigar for me. Okay. If I've already had one cigar and I'm at halftime of the football game and it's a tight game and I want to see the end of it, I'll generally go to the humidor for the Undercrown Sundrop. And that's a relatively new category for you. I remember when we first started doing the show, you were always a one cigar a day kind of guy. You, you very rarely put one back to back. So that's, that's something that, you know, when Sean was on, I said, you know, the, the Partagas Heritage that he gave us was a perfect second cigar. It was a, it was a great after-cigar cigar. Yeah, and so when you're choosing that cigar to come after, so here's my question, and this is a question that has plagued cigar, cigar aficionados since the dawn of time. If you have two cigars, do you smoke the strong one first and potentially blow out your palate, or do you smoke the light one first? I go back and forth on this. So lately I've been smoking the strong one first, mostly because, you know, it's a Padron 4000 or a Tennessee Waltz or a Yellow Rose or something that I know, or, or the Nicaragua 404, something I know is going to be really, really good, something that I know I'm going to enjoy. And that's usually the cigar I go into the humidor on a quest for. So I want that on a fresh palate. I've been smoking a lot of the Charter Oak as a follow-up cigar lately, and it's it's probably a little too bitter to be good in that category. But I tend to I tend to go strong and then weak. Well, and I do think that'll be one of our categories. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be developing our categories for the Stogie Awards. And I do think follow-up cigar of the year that probably should be one of our categories in the cigar awards. I think so too be interesting to see the, the varying opinions, especially from our listeners and such, as to what's going to be. If you're out there, email us, info at thecigarcast.com, or comment on Facebook or Instagram. Tell us your follow-up cigar. I'm interested to see what everybody like if they have a go-to follow-up cigar. For me, I think the other, the other little quality I would put on that is I think it's really important with a follow-up cigar to be markably different from whatever, the, whether it's strong to light or light to strong. I think if, if your first cigar is something from the My Father Factory, which is very spice-forward, which is very peppery, then you, might want, then you go something a little more, maybe Dominican, or something a little smoother, a little sweeter for your follow-up, or vice versa. Yeah, I'll almost never go My Father, La Flor, Dominica. Yeah. They're, two, uh, they're different cigars, but they're also similar in strength. So I would want something just a little bit lighter in the follow-up cigar, and it also depends on the time of day. It does. And I, I did get to take some of my own advice last weekend. We were sitting there, and um, we was finished deer hunting, and we were sitting out there waiting for everybody else to finish up. It was too warm. We didn't see any deer that particular day. 
But we were sitting there, and me and my cousin, we were sitting together, and she seen me smoking a cigar. And she said, I'd like to try one of those. And I had the Edge Connecticut in my humidor for just such an occasion. Awesome. I always keep always keep that you know that cigar and that's you know six seven dollar cigar so I knew if she took you know five puffs off of it and couldn't smoke the rest I wouldn't cry when she laid it down. What was the verdict? She loved it. Oh, awesome. She um she actually started getting some of the notes of sweetness out of it and things like that and I started explaining to her how her palate will develop. You know how cigars will kind of develop your palate, and you'll really get to start noticing those nuances. Because the novice cigar smoker that comes in and says, "Oh, this has hints of mushroom and dandelion," <laughs> uh, they're they're basically just making stuff up as they go along. Yeah, you know, because one, I've never smoked a mushroom, I've never smoked a dandelion. I'm not sure how this happens, how these became, you know, cigar terms, or they name some really. I'm. I swear, I'm going to write a review of a cigar. Tastes like a Chateau Blanc 1976, dry, room temperature only. You know, if it's cold, it don't taste like this cigar. And uh, I, th- I think I can get it. You think I can reach that level of pretentiousness? I think so. So many of these reviews, I wonder if they're just trying to f- fill pages. And I've felt that way about wine reviewers for years. So you get these, and you know, what, it tastes, no, it, it tastes like a cigar. It tastes like whatever it is. Like, yeah, there are some, some are going to be, spy- I, I don't think anybody can really taste, no, everything they say they can. Now, that being said, there are a few cigars that I can really taste you know, one flavor more than the other, you know, a little sweeter, a little spicier, a little more leather, a little more clove, that kind of thing. But never the, the hints of this and the, you know, the, you know, that, that peanut kernel that you find in the back of your teeth and chew on it for a while, that flavor in the third half of the, no, it just, I don't buy it. Well, and I think sometimes they're trying to make up for a lack of the ability to be a conversationalist. I pride myself on being a conversationalist. I actually have questions that I use. Um, You know, I've said before when I travel, the question I always ask my cab driver, what's your favorite food that your mama makes and where can I get some of it? (laughs) And that question always leads somewhere really great on my travels. I love that question. And then around the holiday season, I'm at the gym, and I'm meeting new and interesting people. Um, My gym happens to be part of the Silver Sneakers program, so we get a lot of the older clientele in there. My favorite question to ask the ladies, the older ladies, when they come in there is, what's your signature dish? What's what's the one dish that they say, oh, man, I hope Gladys brings her X? (laughs) And, uh, And that's always a great question because... They usually have a dish that just they make, and they guard that recipe yeah. with their life. I mean, that, that recipe is definitely going in their grave and going to die with them, but sometimes they'll share the recipe. For my great-grandmother, that was her pot roast. All of us in the family have tried to replicate that recipe, and we just can't. Just can't make, just can't it's rip. It's not the same. Yeah, my great-grandmother always made fried pies. And when she was 90 years old, she would make fried pies, and one of my uncles owned a convenience store. And he would come to her house and pick up 100 fried pies at 5 a.m., and by 6.30, there was no fried pies left in his store. Wow. Everybody came, and it was great for her because it gave her a little spending money. He gave her, you know, a couple of bucks each for the pies, and then he sold them with a little markup for himself on there. And the days they knew pies were going to be delivered, there would be logging trucks backed up in his parking lot 
waiting for Mama's pies to hit the shelves. That's wild. And uh, so what's your signature dish? What do you always bring? Oh. I know you're not an 80-year-old woman, but I figure you have something. Cheese grits. Cheese grits. Cheese grits are, that's, that's, my, that's my thing. I, so whenever we go on that, that camping trip every year, everyone kind of has their thing. So for my dad, his dish is the biscuits. My dad makes biscuits the best I've ever had, the best anybody. His biscuit recipe is incredible. Now, is this campfire Dutch oven biscuits? Yes. But oh. the, oh, yeah. But the biscuits he makes in, at home in the oven are, are, are good, too. These are just camp. Yeah, these are, these are Dutch oven biscuits. But so when breakfast comes around, he's on biscuit duty. I'm on cheese grit duty. And it's a recipe that I know by heart. It's one I've been doing for years. And, it's, and if you've never had good cheese grits, that's, that's where it's at. So mine is the, I have two. I have the deer jerky, which I bring here to the football games, and it always looks like you tossed a ham bone to piranhas when I open up the canister of deer jerky around here. And my other one is the deer jerky, or the barbecue, as I refer to it, the barbecue deer slider. And I, have, the, I have had that. That is, that's pretty good. The secret is the Hawaiian roll. Yeah. Make the barbecue, add the Hawaiian roll to it, par excellence hard to beat. All right. So, non-cigar related, but it's holiday time. <laughs> we always talk about eating on holiday times. That's right. So, everybody ha- so everybody out there, ask, so ask an older lady sometime, what's your signature dish? You're going to get some super interesting answers to that. Now, an obscure dish, I have to know, have you ever had chocolate gravy? I haven't. You've lived a sheltered life. Is that right? Chocolate gravy is it's one, chocolate gravy is one of those things. It's a deep South recipe. Okay, you have to be in the South and you have to be deep in the South. Even there's even some Southerners who have never had chocolate. Myself gravy. being in that category. Yeah, you've been in South all your life. You never had chocolate gravy. Right. Chocolate gravy, one of those wonderful things in life. What What is chocolate? Chocolate gravy. gravy is it's Hershey's cocoa and flour and milk and cooked into a gravy form. And you pour it over hot cat head biscuits with a big pallet of butter on top of it. Just absolutely. I can just smell the diabetes. <laughs> yeah, not known, not known for our healthy eating. <laughs> no, that is house. definitely true. But absolutely wonderful. Because when we always do breakfast, we'd have a dessert with breakfast. I mean, we do up breakfast, right? We usually have a couple of fried eggs, country ham, and then either chocolate and gravy and biscuits or oatmeal or rice or something like that. I'm not a grits person. Now, cheese grits are different than grits. They're, they're not nearly as runny. They're more savory. You know, shrimp and grits being a perfect example of a dish that, that utilizes the cheese grit very, very well. I've never, I've never had it. I'll have to try it. You'll have to bring in a batch of cheese grits to either a tailgating or something like that. that we're I'll definitely do, do that. Here. So, spoke a lot about that stuff. Need to hit a cigar under $8 real quick. Mm-hmm. Don't want to let an episode get by without sharing a cigar under 8 Cigar under eight this week is a sleeper. It's the Macanudo Cafe Lords. Now, have you had the Macanudo Cafes? Uh, I have. It's been a long time. Very mild cigar. The one I'm looking at is a Robusto. Dominican in origin, Connecticut wrapper, Connecticut shade wrapper leaf. Um, a good mild cigar. A great first cigar to put somebody on if you've got a novice cigar smoker. 
one of those that's not going to blow out their palate. It's not going to choke them down. It's just a really good, evenly balanced cigar, which seems to be something Macanito is very good at. They always have been. I mean, back when I started smoking, it was they were the most popular cigar in the country, and by and then therefore the world. And I, I think I think cigar smokers have gotten a little more discerning, gotten a little more developed palates, and we kind of moved towards some heavier stuff. And so I think it it, it lost its place of prominence in that regard. But it is a great you know uh, gold standard for a mild cigar. Yeah, it's just it's a great one. These are about six six seven bucks eight MSRP, so they're way down there in the price range. They're a good cigar to have just to hand to somebody. Um, not every shop carries them because, like you said, that Macanudo, for some reason Macanudo is kind of becoming a lost brand. I don't know what's going on. You, I wonder if some of that comes from the fact that you see them in gas stations and you know drugstores and places like that. I don't know. I wonder. I wonder that too. I wonder if you know the fact that you can pick them up at Walgreens makes right. a difference. And all, but try Macanudo Cafe Lords. Like I said, spend five or six dollars. Give it a try. I think you'll really enjoy it. Hmm. Well, the uh, second half of this show has gone by every bit as quick as the first one. Um, I believe it's about time for us to wrap up. Before we do, I do want to encourage everybody to drop us a line. If you've got topics for future shows, things you want us to address, questions. And uh, like Shane mentioned, we're going to be doing kind of an award show for our last episode of the year. And we want to uh, hear your suggestions for maybe some categories of things that, and uh, and maybe what your view of what should win that category would be. So, you know, we're looking for things, you know, obviously we've got the obvious best new cigar of the year, thing, new things that have released. But, you know, if you've got some, some maybe uh, a little more obscure categories, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Drop us a line, info at thecigarcast.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash The Cigar Cast and Instagram and Twitter at The Cigar Cast. Well, thanks everybody for listening this week. Have a wonderful holiday season and we'll talk to you next week.